the very first charges I got when I was 18 was uh, so discharging a firearm to occupy dwelling, sales of possession of heroin and cocaine, and possession of a firearm by a minor. And then uh, the second time going to prison was uh, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, not intend to kill. Uh, the thing was uh, sales and possession. And then my very last charges that I got um, was uh, sales, delivery, manufacturing, trafficking, fentanyl, and firearms by a felon. Uh, possession of a Susa bulletproof vest. That was the charges I got when I was facing life. All right, good afternoon. This is State of Florida versus Stephen Testa with multiple cases before the court. Brian LaCroix, I'm from Florida. Uh, at about 14 years old, I started uh, using drugs and gangbanging. Um, been in and out of penitentiary my whole life. Um, circumstances, I, I met a guy in the penitentiary that was one of our, our founding fathers, and I, I, I idolized this man. He told me that there's two people in the world, victims and victimizers. Which one are you going to be? Me, already in the gang, said that I'm gonna not be no victim. I'm not going to be no victim. I'm be a victimizer. So I started idolizing this man. I started putting every effort I could in. To, to be this man, to be, to, to, I want what he wanted. He had the respect. He had the honor that I felt like I wanted. So in that penitentiary, 18 years in the penitentiary, I did that. During my last time going back into prison with my fourth time, um, as the, the judge is reading off my past and my new fourth uh, felony charges, um, I'm smiling on the inside. And as I'm smiling, you know, just waiting for all my brothers to hear these new charges that I know I'm going to get some rank, I'm going to move up in rank. Uh, the judge said my ACC 40 years. My whole life's changed right there. I, I felt sick to my stomach. I started acting up in the courtroom and, uh, the, the judge escorted me out. And, um, as I go into the, um, into the cell, I, I'm in a cell by myself. I, I've, I've STG files so they, that they isolate us. So as I'm by myself, uh, I sit there and evaluate my, my life. And I started crying for the first time ever in my whole life. I can remember just crying. And I remember saying, I'm not a bad person. I remember this voice in my head said, yes, you are a bad person. I kept saying, but I got a wife and a son. And the voice said, and he said, yeah, but you're absent father and an abusive husband, which is true. Uh, you know, abused my, my wife, you know, and, uh, so that went on for about a year and uh, I got down to about 120 pounds, physically dying on the inside. Like I, it was no hope for me, you know, so as I, as I'm evaluating what's going on in the cell by myself, I'm just evaluating my life and what's going on. And we get some money together to get a lawyer and they want $100,000 to go to trial. There's no way I can afford $100,000. There's no possible way. Uh, so I can either take the 40 years, go to trial and lose and I get life. So as I'm evaluating now, we get $11,000 together. We get a hold of a lawyer that's gonna do just my evidentiary hearing and go through the paperwork for my public defender. Um, there's no way I can beat this. So I remember, just praying, realizing that my life is over and evaluating, like I ruined my life, but I have a son. And in my organization, your son follows in your footsteps. So I kept saying, God, I don't know if you listen to me. And at the time, I don't believe in God. There was no God. So at the time, I'm just realizing that my life is over. I destroyed my life, but asking to God to help me find the words to talk to my son so he don't follow in my footsteps, to use my life as an example for him not to follow in my footsteps. Uh, about a year and a half of filing the, the charges, my lawyer comes to me and says, I found a loophole. I said, what do you mean? They said, it's a charge called 893.13, it's called stacking charges. When the DEA was investigating the organization I was in, they can't come and keep buying the same drugs, the same guns and stuff off you over and over again. It's against the law. So when they came to the public defender, 
I mean, they, they came to the Lord. They told him that. I said, okay, well, you can beat these three charges in trial, but the first charge you can't beat because I'm 100% guilty of these charges. I did the crime. They said, we'll give you 180 months if you sign a CRD and you sign a probation for life. Okay, that's a light at the end of the tunnel. I can take that. I've been in prison already 15 years at a time uh, in and out. So prison life was not hard for me. It was, there's no difference from the street besides I go to bed at 10 o'clock. That's the only difference. So as the thing goes on, uh, Corona hits. So as Corona hits, uh, the court system shut down. Everything is shut down. Um, there's nobody going to and from prison. No one's going to courts. People are, are dying from Corona. So for six months, it's, it's everything shut down. So as I'm sitting there evaluating my life and knowing that, okay, I can do 15 years. I can do 15 years. I've done it before. I can do 15 years. After about six months that they come to me, they say, if you sign PRR for life, a CLD as a habitual career criminal, we'll give you 60 months. And I started crying. I, I just couldn't even comprehend that I went from life to 40 to 15 to five years. And I didn't do nothing but pray God, pray to God, not to save me from going to prison for life, but to help me change my life so I can minister to my son so he don't follow in my footsteps. And um, so as I, as that, so I'm crying, I'm crying. I'm like, man, praise the Lord. But now the hardest thing is I'm going back into the penitentiary, still a gang member with some ranking, my, my nickname, them knowing me, knowing that something's changed about me. That I don't know what it was, but I know that I couldn't do some of the things that the gangs was going to ask me to do in the prison system. So as I go into the prison system, knowing that I felt different, I looked the same, but I felt different. And as I go in there, you know, I meet some of the, the people that I've known most of my whole life from in and out of the penitentiary. And, you know, we go in and we still do violent acts. We still, you know, extort people and put down on people. We still use drugs and everything like that. But I couldn't do that stuff no more because I know for some reason how many people have, have prayed in a prison cell still got a life sentence. I'm sure tons of people in the world still done that. So why did God choose me to do that? Because I know the only thing I did was pray. I didn't do nothing. Nothing changed. My paperwork still stayed the same. The charges still stayed the same. But all I did was pray to ask God to, to help me talk to my son, to use my life as an example. So I knew something. I knew there was something greater than myself at that time. So as I'm going back into the penitentiary, you know, I start getting myself in trouble with the officers, not making my bed, not going to work, and kept going back into the box for a long time, going back to the box. You know, the gang started seeing something different about me. Words started telling about me. It started becoming dangerous. So I kept myself in situations where I spent pretty much 80% of my time in the box, evaluating my life and who I was and how I got there and how I'm going to change. Still too prideful to ask for a Bible. Pride came in. But that night, I would still talk to God. Like, God, thank you for saving me. I don't even know why you saved me, but I'm going to figure it out. So as I get, you know, by the grace of God, I made it out doing a lot of time of self-evaluation of myself. So as I get out, I realize I have to go to a place that's going to show me how to become a better man, how to become something than what I once was when running the streets my whole life. I don't know how to be a man. I never had a job. I don't know how to do anything. So I need to figure out how to change my whole life around. So I found this place called the New Orleans Mission. And as I go there, um, by the grace of God, I, I got there. And, and on the website, it says, the first thing we teach is about Jesus Christ. And the spirit inside me said, that's why I got to go. So I went there and I came here. And as I got off the Greyhound bus and went to New Orleans station, I got in there, never been so scared in my life. I remember the two-day bus ride from Florida to here. I kept saying, God, please let us be the place that's going to help me how to change my life. I don't know how to... I don't know how to live in society without being a hindrance. Like, how do I live a whole different life that I don't know nothing about? So I prayed for two days straight, scared, crying. I got to a New Orleans mission, and there was a guy there that opened me up with open arms, gave me a hug, and no one's hugged me. I can't even remember. And I was like, why is this guy hugging me? And I was uncomfortable. 
But I mean, as I told my mom, she said, just go in there and just ask for their help and be transparent. So I go there and I, I pick a Bible up for the first time, never reading the Bible. And I started getting up at four o'clock in the morning and making myself read. And I remember after about a month, I was like, God. I was like, I was like, God, you want me to live by this word, but I don't understand anything I'm reading. How can I live a new life and live by this word? But I can't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. So frustration kicked in. Wanted to quit, wanted to go back, but I know I can't go back. It's God, I, I, I was facing life and I don't now. So I kept pressing, I kept pressing in and getting frustrated. They're not knowing what's going on, asking questions, but a lot of people there were like, just keep reading, just keep reading. So I finally came to a verse in the Bible, and I'll never forget. It was 1 Timothy 13. It says, once I was a blasphemy, I was a persecutor, but I was a violent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. My whole life changed because I understood that verse. Out of every Bible, out of every verse in there, I understood that verse. And I was like, oh, my God. I did all those horrible acts before I knew God. I've been forgiven, and the weight lifted off. I felt better. I started feeling better. So I started pressing in. I started pressing in, and I started understanding the Bible more and more. And, and now like, I still woke up with anger and hatred and unforgiveness. And you know, they said that the Bible says that to forgive yourself, you know, to, to, to forgive others that Christ forgave you, that God forgives you. And I was like, but God, do you know the things I've done? How can you forgive somebody like me? You know, so I still woke up angry and regretful and shameful. As I started pressing in, every day got a little better. Every day that anger started going away. I started feeling better. I, I started going out and serving. And my life just drastically changed. And now I do, uh, I go into the prison system now, which is amazing. Is I was one way and now I'm not. And the only thing in the gap I did was pray to Jesus Christ. Life just is drastically changed. The, the, the joyness I have in my, in my heart now, you know, in Ephesians 4, 7 says, For the peace of the Lord exceeds all understanding. And I'm living that today. I can't even explain the peace and joy I have towards myself, towards others. It's unspeakable joy. I can't even explain the joy I have that I just tell people how I got it by pressing in and praying to God every day and every day I just serve the Lord more and more I just want him to, to use me diligently whether it's cleaning toilets or serving or whatever they have me to do I just want to just want to serve him diligently after every day the very first charges I got when I was 18 was uh, so discharging a firearm to occupy dwelling sales of possession of heroin and cocaine the possession of a firearm by a minor and then uh the second time going to prison was uh, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, not intend to kill. Uh, the thing was uh, sales and possession. And then my very last charges that I got um, was uh, sales, delivery, manufacturing, trafficking, fentanyl, and firearm by a felon. Uh, possession of a suicide bulletproof vest. That was the charges I got when I was facing life. There was an organization that we were having beef with, and um, they, as me being 18 years old, they handed me a firearm and had me to go uh, shoot the house up. And um, by the grace of God, nobody was hit, um, which is, I didn't even understand it now. How I feel now is that, man, is, <laughs> is that uh, the, the, the rival gang people that we were having our end with was we were supposed to go shoot their house up, and it was the right house, but during the time, it was a birthday party. Um, so there was kids in the house, and uh, by the grace of God, nobody was hit, or kids. And uh, the only reason I got a 10-year prison bid on that is because I was a youthful offender, and they changed me as an adult. Um, the, uh, the, I got into an argument with a girl I was dating. Her father, I put my hands on her, and her father came, came at me, and I, I beat him with a bat. Um, I was selling uh, drugs, and uh, I had uh, 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 one of our 
brothers at the time was working for the undercover cops, and I sold to him on, with the wire on. So some of the craziest things I think I've, I've witnessed and, and lived through in the chain, and I've seen uh, uh, somebody uh, get cut with a cocaine across their throat and didn't make it. Um, there's another guy I've seen get wet up about 47 times. I've seen uh, lockers get dropped on people's heads. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen officers get, get stabbed. It's not, it's not a good place. Uh, so uh, I remember uh, one of the, probably one of the craziest things we were going through is uh, we were going through with an, another organization. Um, they were supposed to bring, we were supposed to bring in some, some drugs and they were going to drop it off. And um, as the person, one of my brothers was going to bring the drugs in, the, the amount that was dropped off, they said was more than what it was. And they said that we stole from them. And it was just all out, all out war, you know, just smash on sight. You know, it's probably the most scariest, dangerous parts of walking around. You don't know who's who and what's going on. That's probably, uh, probably one, of the, one of the scariest parts of my life. So I think some of the hardest places of spending about 18 years in the penitentiary is that the adjusting of the first three times getting out of prison, I always ran back to the street life. But now being different is uh, to walk around with the gang tats on my face uh, is very, I don't like to be around a lot of people, but I feel like God is going to use my past and the gang tattoos to reach some of the people that are still lost. Um, so going out there and being ashamed, you know, I don't ever take my hat off. You know, my whole head's tattoos, full of gang tattoos, full of hate, you know, and that's just not needing me anymore. When I look in the mirror, I see those, but I know that's not me no more. But the world is very judgmental. They don't understand the struggles of, of having those gang tattoos on me. And, you know, I thought about removing them. You know, but the Bible says, you know, not to, not the tattoo of the body, which I think God would understand. But as I talk to my pastor, he feels like that that would be, would speak more with my testimony and knowing that I'm not just making it up, that if you know the gang life, you know, the tattoos I have are earned. You can't just go to a tattoo parlor and put those tattoos on you or you'll be, you know, they'll cut them off or you'll be killed. So to still walk around with that, which is also fear of running into some of my ex-gang members and still having those tattoos on me and no longer being a part of that could also be dangerous. And it's just a judgmental of rival gang members or judgmental of society looking at you as you're still that violent person when I know that God has changed me completely. I'm no longer that, that violent, angry man anymore. So it's, I still struggle with that, you know, of, not knowing if, if, if I remember we're going to get rid of that feeling of unworthiness or, 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 the, or the looks I get, you know, or, or, or being hurt by somebody that doesn't understand that I am now a child of God and not that person no more because I still rep those tattoos on my face. I, I was unforgiven and then I became a four-patch peddler, so for the outlaws, this is a one-percenter. You know, the most amazing thing is, you know, you never tell God what you're going to do. So when I left that prison gate, I told God I made a promise I would never, uh, never step foot back in the penitentiary. How God works is I go back into the penitentiary, but now as ministering to them to show them what God can change your life. And it's just amazing that once I was never going to come out of there to the point that now I willingly go in there to, to try to show the love of Christ and how, how he's changed my life and how he can change their lives, that the, the that their life is not over because of the shame or guilt or whatever crimes they fit, that God will forgive you for whatever crimes you've committed.